Today, this weekend, we get to celebrate Easter. We get to commemorate a moment in time that has changed the world significantly, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not. This event has made an impact on history. However, I feel that with the number of us that are sitting here today, and it might not be you, but it might be someone that you know, it might be someone that you love, there is something that we still wrestle with even when we have an understanding of what the cross is and was and did. We saw depicted um, the woman at the well there who felt when Jesus came and approached her was unworthy because of what she had done. And Jesus, in that moment, took the time to correct that wrong thinking. And then it was obviously fictionalized, but depicted in The Chosen was Mary and her struggle with her past and her future and her current circumstances and the wrestle with sin and how that affected her life. I think sin is something that we kind of pay lip service to, but it's not something that we love to kind of discuss. I don't say, hey, let's go out for coffee and let's talk about sin. Um, But it's something that at times makes us feel weighty. And the Bible says, and we're going to look in Romans today, and Paul is trying to communicate with us that it should not feel weighty. You have no reason for sin to feel weighty on your shoulders. If you understand and accept what the cross and the resurrection does in your life, I want you to be able to walk out of here today and go, I don't have that weight on my shoulders. And if you already don't have that on your shoulders, then I want you to understand this and internalize it and maybe reword it or reshape it in a way that you can share it with someone else where you know that they don't feel accepted, good enough, or they feel worried or anxious about whether they're good enough for Jesus Christ or not, whether they actually can go to heaven. I want us to feel confident in what has been gifted to us today. Let's pray together before we start. Father God, we want to thank you for the opportunity to be here and to let what you have done for us soak in and permeate our very being. Help us to personalize this, to understand that you want for us a life that is filled with freedom and a life lived with you by our side, with your Holy Spirit influencing how we act, how we speak to your word today in your name. Amen. So I was in year seven when I went on my very first Pathfinder expedition. My dad um, is, was, he's just retired this year, was a pastor, and we lived in um, rural New South Wales and rural Queensland, so we never really lived anywhere where there was a church big enough for us to have a Pathfinder club. But for a few years, my dad was called down to two churches on the central coast of New South Wales. So we were like, yay, we went um, 
to this to Erinus School down there, and we got to join a Pathfinder Club. And so my brother, who is super outdoorsy as we were growing up and still loves four-wheel driving, camping, that kind of thing, was like, yes, we're going on an expedition. And I was not super outdoorsy, but I'm like, there's a whole heap of people together and you get to be with people all day and all night. Yes, I'm in. That was my thing. And also the prospect of new things came with going on an expedition for the first time. Mainly the thing I was looking forward to is I understood that you had to get new footwear. And so knowing my mother's weakness, she's not here today, knowing that my mother's weakness was she would like to save money, you know, spend money wisely, but she also likes really nice things. So I was able to talk my mother out of the ugly hiking boots and into the pair of what were fancy at the time, LA gear, high top leather sneakers. I'm like, mom, like hiking boots are really expensive. These ones I can wear to school afterwards. I can wear them out. So let's buy these ones. So we bought them brand new. I think we bought them like the day before we were going on the camp out and I thought it was amazing. I'd never hiked before. So I filled my backpack with things like, why would you just want to drink water while you're hiking? So I like had a six pack of poppers and like, you know, I don't want like powdered milk. So like little poppers of milk and stuff like that until I got to the actual, you know, where we were leaving and my counsellor picked up my pack and went, no, that is not coming with us and proceeded to take out my poppers and other things like that that were unnecessary. But hence, we were on the hike. There was people. We went to Mile Lakes. So it was a walking and canoeing hike and I was super, super excited until maybe three hours in. And I realized that these LA gears were not necessarily going to uh, go the distance. That night, freedom was found when I could pull my shoes off and go in to my soggy, wet sleeping bag because it went overboard from the canoe. And then every morning I would wake up, I think it was about four nights, I would wake up and then go, oh my goodness, I have to put these back on over the top of my blisters that now had duct tape covering them because I had run out of band-aids. But every night I'd feel the freedom of get these shoes off and get into my sleeping bag. And then the next morning, oh my goodness, my nightmare has come true. I have to put these back on and just carry the burden of these sore feet again today until the very final day. And we got to the car park. Some amazing things happened along the way. We saw as we crested over some dunes, there was just dolphins everywhere. I'd never lived near the coast. It was the first time I'd seen dolphins in the ocean. So it was an amazing time. My brother was in a different group, so I wasn't annoyed by him. So it was, just, it was a good time. However, when we got to the car park, the first thing I did was, that is it. I'm taking these LA gears off. And in contrast to what I told my mother I would do, I am never putting these back on ever again. There is no monetary value that is coming out of these that 
a long term. The freedom that I felt knowing that I didn't have to put that hurt and pain back on again is something that I still remember and I'm reminded of it at so many other times. When I come up against something I thought I kicked or I thought I'd finished struggling with, but then it was there again. And today, my goal is for you to walk out of here feeling like you yourself have kicked off your LA gear high tops and have a new sense of freedom. When's the last time you felt free of something? For some of you guys in school, it could have been like last day of term when you handed in your assignments, when you did an exam. For some of you, if this is you, can you come and let me know how it feels because I feel like it's a long way in my future. Maybe you've paid off your mortgage and you're like free of that. Yahoo, that must be amazing. Or maybe you're free of a relationship that was not great for you, of a habit that you've tried to kick. It might be just that you've got a whole half an hour at the shops by yourself without your kids. And I feel like freedom often to me comes with a, a slight smile but a big, deep breath, like a, like a, hmm, I'm sitting with this freedom. That's what freedom feels like to me. And the freedom that I want you to understand today that we're going to look at in Romans 8 is that you are free of condemnation. You can walk out of here going, I don't have to feel condemned anymore. Not for a moment longer. That's it. When I understand what happened on the cross, that Jesus died for me, that he rose again, I don't have to live a life of condemnation. I can be free of that. But we're not the only ones that wrestled with it. Paul wrestles with it in Romans and he shares that with us really, really eloquently. But today, if you want to follow on, I don't have it on the screen, but if you want to follow on, um, you can go to Romans 7 and we're going to start at verse 17. But today I'm going to read it from you in the message because it has such a great way of putting it that I think you will understand. So listen to the wrestle that Paul has, a great leader of the early church, someone who is sold out for Christ. This is the wrestle that he had starting in verse 17. But I need something more. For I know the law, but still I can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, and I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong within me, and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment that I decide to do good, sin is there, ready to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in on that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel and just when I least expect it, they are the parts that take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? 
Isn't that the real question that we have? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. He's a man that knows God, that understands the cross, that knows what that cross yet means, but yet he still has a wrestle and a struggle with sin that at times leads him to underestimate and devalue the power that Jesus showed when he died and rose again. And I think that's something that if it's not you that at times wrestles with, then it's probably someone you know that wrestles with that. So what is the solution? He's crying out for a solution to something that has plagued us, all of humanity. None of us are exempt from it, from the Garden of Eden. How can I be free? How can I be free from condemnation? How can I have an understanding and a real concrete feeling that I have eternity in my hands? It has been gifted to me and I've accepted it. I'm unwrapping it and my life is changing because of what has been gifted to me. We can relate. Is there anything, is there anyone that can do anything for us? In verse 24 in the NIV, he says, I'm a wretched man. Who will rescue me? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Because he understands that the wages of sin is death. But he also understands that, hang on, Christ died and paid for that sin, so why am I wrestling with it? The solution he gives to us in chapter 8. And my question is, before we move to chapter 8, could it be that for some of us, and maybe for all of us at certain times in our lives, could it be that we see this sacrifice? We understand on a factual basis what went down. We know what it's meant to represent. But have we gone, that was for me. Have we personalized what happened on the cross. Have we gone, I accept what you've done for me and it changes my tomorrow. It changes my today. It changes everything from here. Do we understand the implications of what Easter means for us on the issue of sin? So let me read, we'll start off chapter eight. So Romans 8, and we'll read verse 1 all the way down to 5. I'm going to read it to you from the NIV, then I'm also going to read it to you from the message. It's a really cool understanding. So here's the solution. If we wrestle with that, Paul says, I wrestle with it too. But you know what? I've come to understand that there is a solution for you in this manner. So let's hear what it is. He says, therefore, we just read what went before it, the wrestle of feeling like we're not good enough or that we're not worthy. He says, therefore, you need to understand there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus... The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his son. In the likeness of humanity to be a sin offering for us, and so he condemned sin in human flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but accept the nature of... With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, that fateful dilemma that we wrestle with is resolved. It's resolved. It's done. No more questions. No need to doubt. That is done. That is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being there for us no longer have to live under continuous low a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote or unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid, as duct tape on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of us redoubling our efforts, we simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. We're not called to look at the mess of our lives and go, okay, tomorrow I'll start again. I'll pull those crusty boots on that are hurting and I'll feel the weight of my sin and I'll walk through it again. And today I'll try and try and try and do better. Because then once I've nailed today, say that. He actually doesn't say that it's anything to do with you. And what you can do, any action, the only thing that is required is for you to personalize and understand and take on board and accept the gift of Jesus dying on the cross for you. And from that moment, you get to live a life that has no condemnation. Now, there are some of you, I'm a teacher, so there are some people that I know in a class, I'm also a mother of four boys, so like I'm an expert in this, that when you draw a line somewhere, people will go often, how close, whole body over, but if you were to call me on it, my feet were on this side. Okay, that's like, you know, you might have perfect people in your family, but like that one, look, and I'm speaking from experience too. I remember going on long trips with my brother in the car. You can annoy someone without kind of doing anything wrong. But we have a tendency to find where is the line and wherever we draw the line, we try and push it. So I've had people say, well, all right, if we are to accept what Jesus has done on the cross for us, does that give us a free license to go, right, 
I understand it. I've personalized it. Now is my moment. I'm going to live free of condemnation. So every sin that I have been putting on my to-do list from here on in, like now's my moment of glory. I can just rack up all those sins that I love and, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. Is a life with no condemnation a license to sin? It's not. In fact, it's the very opposite. It doesn't mean that we can go to town doing whatever we want. In fact, eternal sin, knowing that God's love for you, his unconditional love for you is guaranteed no matter what. It's knowing and understanding that the tremendous gift of salvation accomplishes the opposite of giving us a license to sin. And Paul talks about in Romans 8, a life lived with the Spirit, where the Holy Spirit lives with you. He's not saying, you know what, Yahoo, once you've been saved, you know, like go do whatever you want. Once you've been saved, you've been saved. Once you accept that, eternal security is yours. But how you live the rest of your life, how you wait until Jesus comes back, how you wait in that moment is living with the Spirit. That's how you wait in that time frame. While we're waiting for Jesus to return and take us to heaven, it's not like Yahoo. It's actually like, you know, let's take it for, let's go with marriage, for example. And I'll use my marriage, for example. Let's go that if um, I first met Neil, which obviously I did, and he said to me, Sarah, in order for us to have a relationship, I am going to need you to never want a holiday at the beach and only to holiday in rural areas. I am going to need you to never ask me to go on a cruise. I am going to need you to absolutely love country music and permit me, well, actually not me to buy, but you will purchase clothes that are of a countryish nature, no skinny jeans or cardigans for me. Is that okay? You know, like, so like there was all these conditions on our relationship and marriage and you'd be like, well, hang on. Do you actually want to, like, do you actually want this happens? Because if that was the criteria, I probably would have gone, hmm, I really like the beach. Do I like country music? No, that's just about getting your dog back and you lost your wife and, you know, your washing machine's broken down and you're sitting on the porch. Like, no, I probably wouldn't do that. So I would have gone no to that relationship because that relationship required something that wasn't me. It didn't accept me for who I was. It was conditional. And Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, that trinity of our God, head says, that is not how we work. I don't want you to fulfill this list before I save you. Like when we saw Jesus depicting, it's not much of redemption if you can lose it in a day when you've just done something wrong. Like, it's not that small. It's not that little a deal what I did for you on the cross. It's big. It's all encompassing. It allows you to live a life free of condemnation. It allows you to take it personally, to feel secure, 
to accept and know that you walk out of this door with eternity in your hand, but it also changes how you live. When I, when we did get married, lucky he didn't place those things on me, lo and behold, all of a sudden, I feel, you know, maybe Jessica, you can understand this, you know, when you're sitting in the car with someone that you love, country music's not that bad. You know, and then maybe when you're in the car on your own, you might find yourself listening to one of those songs even without your partner in the car. Life changes. When you're in a relationship, a living and loving relationship with someone, life changes. You grow, you learn. And Paul is advocating here for us to feel secure in our eternity, but spirit. Live a life that says, God, where do you want to take me? God, what do you think about this decision? Is there anything in me, God, that offends you? And if there is, can we have a conversation about it? Maybe can you help me out with that? There's a habit that now that we're in a relationship, it, it kind of doesn't seem right anymore. I just Can we work on that? together. But while you work on that, while you're in the waiting, you need to feel free of condemnation. You don't have to carry that weight anymore. So how do we remember when we've internalized this cross and what it's done for us? How do we remember to let go of the wrestle of feeling I'm not good enough? My past is this. This was done to me. I still do this. Yesterday I said I wouldn't do it. And today I picked up my phone again. I looked at this. I spoke like that. I said that. I shared that when I said I wouldn't. What do we do when we wrestle with that and not let that affect our value? Because our value is solid. Once we've accepted it, we are free of condemnation. Here's some things that we can do. The first one is to remember that God saves to restore. He doesn't restore, then save. It's not the way he works. He saves us and then says, hey, let's restore. Let's heal. Let's work on the things that eat away at you and hurt you. It's not the other way around. There's no country music loving checklist or picking your clothes up off the floor checklist that you have to adhere to before you can be free of condemnation. God saves to restore. He doesn't restore to save. That's not how he works. And then if we understand that, we in turn that he saves us and then he restores us, what do we do when doubts still come? What do we do when we slip up, when still seems to ha- sin still seems to have a control over us? The next step is to not focus on the problem. Focus on the solution. And the solution is this. When you're battling something, a habit, something, some sin, some thought, something that is eroding away at your self-worth and making you not feel worthy of this, don't focus on that. Don't let that become everything that you talk about or don't let that control what you say, who you have relationships with and how you work. Focus more on this. Shift your solution is you remembering that you live a life free of condemnation. And when you live it with the Holy Spirit inside of you, that's a thing between you and God. You work on those things. He won't condemn you. He'll convict you of areas 
that would make your life better. Not because he needs to have them better before he accepts you, but he loves you. He knows that you without that is stress-free. He knows that whatever it is brings you anxiety. And when you and him can work together to eradicate that from your life, then there's that little parcel of anxiety that is not there anymore. I encourage you to doubt your doubts. When you have a doubt come in your head, whether you are worthy of this, whether you've earned it, whether your eternal security is secure still, doubt your doubts. Go, hang on, no, I don't have to have them anymore. In fact, that dishonors God. It dishonors what he's done. Let's just not go there. Help me to doubt my doubts. He's bigger than that. This is epic what happened when he died and the depth of God's love for us that he would have freely gifted his only son to die on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. We can trust that God. We can trust that he doesn't look down on us with a checklist, that he doesn't look down on us with condemnation, that he's there lifting our chin and going, look up, look up, look at my eyes. And when you look at me, you will see the love that I have for you. And I want you to have freedom. Kick off those very dirty, wet, soggy LA gears that have given you blisters and feel the freedom. Remember that God saved you to restore you, not the other way around. Don't focus on the problems. Focus on the solution that God has already given you. And doubt your doubts. And remember that you are valued, loved, and very, very worthy of the gift that you have been given.